0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have the CEO of Seismic, Doug Winter, as our guest today. We are hoping Doug will give us some insights around emerging technologies and key growth initiatives that the company is undertaking. So, Doug, let's start off with a little bit of background of yourself and your history and how you got involved with Seismic.
1: Yeah, sure. Excited to uh, be here. So, boy, how far back should we go? I'm an engineer by training. Always loved uh, understanding how things work, tinkering with the way things work, solving hard problems. The harder the better. Got involved with software after graduate school. Was in the dot-com startup that went up and then straight back down. Got involved in a turnaround and uh, that uh, ended up being a, a small win for us. And through that process, got exposed to the area of content management and content customization and a number of different applications, mostly back office. And what I observed in the market was an opportunity. I thought no one had really done for content related problems, what had been done for CRM with Salesforce or with HR software, but with stuff, which is put it on the cloud, make it much easier to sell it as a SaaS model and use the tech stack, the modern tech stack that we're all familiar with today as a cloud. And I thought. Boy, there's an opportunity to do that in content. And my observation based on some of my previous experiences and and that of my other founders was that the needs of sales and marketing were really an area that was fully underserved in this with content problems that they suffered from. The existing solutions that were out there were slow to implement. They required a lot of IT spend. They weren't very user friendly, all things that that really blow up in the world of sales and marketing where you got to move fast, right? Things are always changing. And so we launched Seismic with the vision of taking on those problems for sales and marketers. And that's really how, how we got started. And uh, we was fortunate to have some co-founders that I'd worked with before. It wasn't our first trip around the block. And so we knew what we wanted to do. We knew how to get it done and had a lot of confidence in each other and our ability to execute. And so off we went 10, 12 years ago now.
0: See, perhaps for some of our audience members, perhaps you can explain what is sales enablement? What does it even mean to an ecosystem around that?
1: You know, what's funny enough is when we started, it wasn't a term that was even in use. There was no such thing as sales enablement. In fact, enablement, the word wasn't even in the dictionary, right? So you would go to type in an email or something like that, and you get the dreaded red squiggly line telling you that that your whole space didn't, didn't exist. But sales enablement is really about helping sellers do better using technology. And what do you mean, do better? That's very generic. But it's it takes the form of helping them on board. So you get to hire a new sales rep. And their job these days is incredibly hard. And in the time frame like we're living through today with the great resignation, there's people turning over at an unprecedented rate. So how do you get them on board when you're when you're doing your uh, analysts, I'm sure one of the things that you're looking at often is how quickly are you ramping up sales reps and what's their attainment and how fast can you hire them and make them productive? Sales enablement is really aimed at solving that problem. Get a new rep on board quickly. So that's training and that's coaching. Give them a playbook that they can follow. And the more data that you have available to you, the more AI can help you with that process So, give them playbooks. Give them the right content so they can answer questions quickly. That come in, they can prepare for a presentation that they need to do or a meeting that they need to do um, very quickly. Their manager can see who's being productive and who's not being productive. And they can see that before the end of the year, when you get your quota report, you can actually see through the progress through the year, are they doing what they should be doing? Are they taking the training that they should be taking and performing as you would expect them to? Are they doing well in their coaching exercises? Are they using the content, the right pitches, the right white, white papers or videos? at the right time to meet the needs in the sales cycle. And that's really what sales enablement is all about.
0: That's a very good point. And while you were explaining that, it took me back 20 years when I worked on some software companies that were all about content management. And I think Sabe and Zoxley led to that. I remember working on one called Documentum in those days. Tell me where does the document management stop and where does sales enablement start? And how do you, what's the difference between the two?
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that actually. It's Documentum that that bought our previous company. So we ended up as part of EMC, part of the EMC Documentum stack. Great people, great technology for solving a certain set of of problems. Not a great fit for customer facing types of problems and applications where things need to move faster and be a little bit more fluid. And it's a really great point that you make, which is one has the sales content that they use. Everyone is solving this problem in some way, shape or form. It's just that prior to seismic and the establishment of the sales enablement field, there really were no fit for purpose. There's designed or built for purpose solutions that were out there. You were using a generic file sharing system or tool in order to manage all that content. We've got customers who told us, hey, we, uh, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year creating content for our sellers, right? They got enemies of marketing people, content creators, and they couldn't prove that more than 5% of it had ever even been used one time, right? Because those old tools had no tracking, no visibility. You had the proliferation of content, right? Even in today's market, you have tools that are out there to try to dedupe and say, oh, how many copies of content do we have in our library? Well, that's trying to clean up the mess after the mess is already created, right? And Seismic, our approach is allows you to try to prevent that mess from ever being created by keeping a single source of truth, keeping copies under control, allowing customization, but only during in a controlled way. So there's a whole set of new capabilities that, that we've developed and that are useful for sellers and all around that, providing that visibility. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, right? For the organization, they need to know what works, what doesn't work. They need to know if people are doing following the players and doing the things that have proven to be effective or not.
0: Yeah. No, from our side, I think of it, our podcast is about disruption. When you look at the stuff that you went to disrupt, who were the incumbents? I've been thinking about it ever since I heard about your company. I don't even remember any, anybody just like in the HR space or the CRM space. Yeah. We know what the incumbents were. So who are you displacing or is it ingrown systems or uh, you know, you know, that's, homegrown that's a, systems? Uh,
1: it's one of the uh, the great opportunities and also the great challenges of doing what we're doing, which is category creation, and which is to say you don't have an old incumbent vendor or product that you're going out there and trying to cannibalize, you don't have a well-established way of looking at what exactly the problem is that you're solving, right? You have to create that at the same time that you're actually creating the problem and solving it. So. One of the things that we've done from the beginning at Seismic is we've really overinvested in R&D. We have a sizable R&D team. And we continue to do so because the space is rapidly evolving. Customers don't even know exactly what it is they want in a lot of cases. So we get in there and we've worked closely between coming up with the vision that we have and executing on that vision, but then also having the team available to be able to execute quickly and iterate quickly where necessary. help keep pushing pushing it out there but yeah no very few even to this day now that this space is 10 years old or so very few of our new logo customers are we taking them away from a competitor Uh, definitely does happen it's starting to happen more and more but it still the the vast majority are coming off of a file share system or a simple sharing file uh, 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 content sharing system or something like a SharePoint. We had one customer that told us, Ed, they had found 165 different locations where their sales teams went to find content to help them prepare for meetings, right? So you can imagine, it's your first day on the job, you have a sales call tomorrow, and here's a list of 165 places you can go browse through to try to find what you need to put together for your meeting. Good luck. So it's a great point.
0: Now, from a productivity point of view, it does make a lot of sense to me. The, another thing that baffled me when i thought a lot about it was why isn't this part of a crm system to begin with it seems like a logical way to to have all that content ready for all the salespeople. Yeah. so why haven't all these big CRM providers or do they i don't know that but do they have their own ingrown homegrown solution there
1: yeah no not really i think it's one of those areas where it's certainly in the ecosystem we're selling to a lot of times the same buyer or servicing a lot of times the same customer we've invested heavily in integration so whether you're in in hubspot or salesforce or dynamics or oracle crm and you can find the seismic experience embedded as part of that experience so meet the sellers where they live but but no none of the big crm vendors have invested in this area yet and yet it is something that's it is needed in virtually all of their customers certainly over a certain size
0: Hey, so I'm assuming that when you go to a company that has X amount of salespeople, you charge per head, or is it like an enterprise license that you sell them?
1: That's right. It's uh, we comp- copied the model, the common model that I think Salesforce pioneered, and all all of us are using some flavor of more or less, which is which is a seat per seat license. We have different kinds of seats. If you're a content creator, an enablement professional, or a seller who's just accessing the system every day to use the content, or Prepare the content or conduct meetings. We have different license prices for those points, but yeah, very familiar model.
0: So, okay, so let's say it's for the sake of argument, I'm Pepsi and I want to adapt your platform. How do, you, how do you sell it to me in a sense of how do you tell me what's my return on investment in terms of time? Like, how do you justify the price that, that you're offering? Because my guess is you're a productivity app, so productivity has to skyrocket. What are a few metrics that you measure to, to gauge your success?
1: Yeah, you could put them into two buckets, effectiveness and efficiency for a seller, All right? So efficiency is really what you were alluding to, saving up time. You can imagine if you had 165 different places to go and find content, you're spending hours, if not days preparing for every single meeting that you have, right? If you have a lot of old versions of content, you're sorting through, trying to find which is the latest one, which one's up to date um, and those kinds of things. Pretty easy ROI to be found there as most organizations where we're going in are literally drowning in content and they're they're lost and spending and wasting lots and lots of time but honestly the the effectiveness ones are more interesting the efficient effectiveness kpis i think are, are much more interesting you can imagine i remember one of our financial services customers we have a lot of who was selling 401k plans and since you mentioned pepsi they said We would go in and sell this 401k plan. You can imagine these are billion dollar deals, right? If you're doing the entire 401k plan for an organization like Pepsi, huge dollars at stake. So they would prepare and spend a a tremendous amount of time doing that. If they're preparing um, for a meeting in Pepsi, they wanna personalize that conversation to really land with Pepsi. So it would get as sophisticated as, you know, in certain slides that they used, the background color, but let's change that from Coke red to Pepsi blue right? And the next day we're going to talking to Coke, we'll change it to Coke Red. And so being able to customize that content means that you can stand out from your competition. Being able to do it quickly in today's world, you know, your buyer has has very likely done a ton of research about you. And so if you're going to sit down with your buyer and you don't know about them and you don't prepare a, a presentation or a conversation or whatever form it takes, really specific to their needs, you're at a big disadvantage and you need to do it quickly as well. Turning to those effectiveness, and, you, and it's not hard, right? If you can think of a large company to say that 1% more efficient effectiveness in your sales cycles, you win 1% more deals, or you retain 1% more of your customers, like those small marginal improvements add up very quickly. And so it's really, when we go in and we talk ROI to Pepsi, for example, we would go in with efficiency and with the effectiveness, really try to hone in on the impact of improved effectiveness.
0: No, fair point. So perhaps take me back to the journey of who were your earliest clients and was there a particular that this meshed well with and how has that evolved since then?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. When we first envisioned the company, one of the industries that we thought would be a really good one was, was financial services. And just a Quick, funny story. Previous company we sold, it was public and we sold it to Documentum to EMC. So we're in the news and everybody imagined all the wealth advisors in the neighborhood imagined that suddenly all the founders and executives were wealthy beyond the wildest dreams and would need someone to help them manage all that. And you found wealth. Uh, They were a little disappointed when they saw the reality. That's another story. So I remember sitting down with a top tier Wall Street wealth firm. And I remember that I'd be presenting to me a pitch book and saying, here's why you should come and work with, fill in the name, I won't embarrass them here. And I went through it and I saw copies of charts from a newspaper that had been cut out in Xerox. I saw data that was several years old, trying to make a point about market trends and how to understand it. Right. And here's the worst part. I saw some clear, what was clearly accidentally left in place someone else's personal about their financial state and how they should rebalance their portfolio. And I remember looking at that and going, wow, what's the value of me, 30-year-old budding entrepreneur with a little bit of cash to invest? How much fees are they going to charge me? How much is that going to grow over my lifetime if I live to be 100 years old? And I remember doing the math and thinking, that's a lot of money. And they... It somewhere back on wall street, there was a chief marketing officer who literally would have been pulling his or her hair out to know what had just been presented to a prospective client. Right. And so I looked at that and I said, there's a real opportunity there. And so we went out and we built our first version of our product and we built all our demos. And we went out and said, this is great. We got this amazing solution. Let's start pitching it to some banks and anyone else who will listen. And lo and behold, absolutely perfectly according to plan, our first customer was GE, and our second customer was a pharmaceutical company. And we realized the best laid plans, right? But we realized that this was actually a problem that was very broadly applicable across industries. Now, that said, we did dive in very early with a number of great customers, Tia Kref, now Tia was an early customer of ours in financial services, a really great customer. And it's been with us for a decade now. It helped us really understand in depth some use cases in that space that we've leaned into over the years. But but yes, we found it to be a very broadly applicable problem.
0: So one of the things we hear a lot from SaaS companies or software companies is they divide their whole world in cohorts. They start with the year one and say, okay, customer A started with us. They spent a hundred dollars. Next year, it went to 112 and so forth. Yes. Perhaps just give us by anecdote as to how does a, a customer start with you? And then over time, how do they grow? Do you sell them additional services? Or it'll be, it'll, we'd love to hear through a journey. And then especially if a customer's been around for seven, eight, 10 years. Sure. Uh, how they have grown from, let, let's say, spending a dollar with you to five, six, seven dollars eventually in the end.
1: Yeah. So it's uh, it's an interesting story, the, the, the layer cake. Chart is what I think they refer to it in the investor in the VC world that shows each cohort each year and how it grows over time. And you get this beautiful and eventually they run out of colors. I don't know what they do. Chart year by year, quarter by quarter and how they grow. When we started, the problem that we had was who the heck is this company? How much should we trust them? They need to prove themselves. So in the early days, we, the behavior that we got was we would get a small pilot in a certain group, a small, a certain sales team or a portion of a sales team. And we would go in and we would work with that team and we would be successful and and improve ourselves. And then they would add to the budget and they would expand to another team and then they would expand up to international. And over a period of a few years, we would go from a $10,000 a year account to a $100,000 a year account to a $500,000 a year account. As our, as we grew, as our reputation grew, as our references grew, as our product got more robust, as we got just generally more mature, we found more and more companies that were willing to come in and say, let's go enterprise wide out of the gate, All right. So now it's not uncommon for us to sign a million dollar deal that goes across an entire manufacturing company or, or high tech company. In financial services, it tends to be group by group. They have the division between divisions. They have the walls that, between divisions. And so you tend to get a group and then you have to go to another group. And then about, about four years ago, we really started on a concerted effort to say, Uh, let's look at adding additional products and capabilities. So we started out as a single SKU company, selling a group and then growing. Then we grew into a company that could sell an entire organization all at once without that much upside. And now we've started to go back to those customers because we have credible list of blue chip customers and sell them additional products, our training and our coaching, our social products, for example, all things that we've added either through acquisition or products that we've built in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, perhaps from a functionality point of view, let's go back and start with when you started the platform, what were the things the platform could do and how have you or what is it, you know, what does it do now? And then more importantly, what are some of the areas that you're working on that would change the face of the platform again in the next two to three years or even longer?
1: Yeah, so we started out with a product that was was relatively simple, content management capabilities. Store content, distribute it, publish it out to different groups, track who was using. We added in more advanced capabilities around content automation. So the content can actually be customized based on data. So we might pull data from various data sources in the financial world. It could be from Bloomberg data or some source that a company has, and then use that data to build the the charts, build the tables. And it can oftentimes coming from CRM. So you know a lot about a customer. You've collected all this intel about a customer in it's in your crm pull that data in allow the content itself to be customized pull the right case study based on industry pull the right numbers it's a pull a stock quote in real time and put it into a chart or a table or a calculation so we've added a lot of capabilities around that we then added a lot of capabilities around the how engaged the buyers are so optimizing the buyer experience so when i send something out as a seller did my prospect engage with that content? Did they look at it? How much time did they spend on each page? How much of the video did they actually watch? Did they navigate around inside of the microsite and look at certain areas and not at other areas? Try to, we created what we call digital sales rooms where you can have a whole collection of content. You can ask questions and have an ongoing asynchronous conversation between buyer and seller. That's engaging, it's differentiated and it's dynamic. We got deeper and deeper into analytics. So if you think about it, CRM is where you collect data about the current state of an account. Seismic is where a lot of the interactions are happening. So you can actually see what got shared, what got said, what was the feedback? What were the questions that were asked? Who was at certain meetings? All that kind of information comes in the seismic. So the more data we collected, then we built an AI that sits on top of that and tries to recognize patterns and say, hey, based on what we're seeing, In similar situations to yours, here's some content that you should share. Here's a coaching exercise that might help you better prepare for the meeting that you have tomorrow, those kinds of things. So we continue to add to the products in terms of those experiences. We also recently announced partnership with Microsoft where it's all about the meeting. So it's preparing for meetings in Seismic. It's actually conducting the meeting live in Teams. And then following up the meeting and it's all about being able to have information fed to you even while a meeting is ongoing so i can get i can listen in on the conversation if that's permitted and i can make suggestions on here's things you might use to answer a question that was just asked or for follow-up for logging follow-up items so we're headed down in the direction of supplying more and more intel to help sellers make better decisions and move faster
0: sounds to me this is a lot like customization of the content Depending on what the end audience is, I'm curious uh, just from the actual content, has it changed over the years from pictures to videos to stuff? I know be- consumer behavior has changed quite a bit. So, what has your experience been with short videos or anything? I'm very curious yeah. to learn that.
1: Yeah, videos definitely have become more and more a part of sales conversations and that the short form. Video generated by the salesperson is one thing I, that that has, has become more and more popular. We support that through our digital sales rooms. There's also video that's used for coaching capabilities. So you can practice giving a pitch, for example, or responding to questions and an AI can evaluate that video and tell you if you're doing what you should be doing. And then you can also have your manager or a peer review and give you feedback on how to do that. But then of course, marketing teams who are a big customer of ours is the marketing organization because they own a lot of the content that's used. Uh, Video has become so much more important to them. And, and being able to, again, uh, distribute it to multiple formats. You have sellers in the medical device industry, for example, who are chasing doctors up and down the hallways of hospitals with their tablet uh, device. They only have a short period of time. A video is a powerful, con- powerful way to communicate in a situation like that. Uh, but you boy, you might not have good Wi-Fi and you're probably not going to get a second chance. So you better be able to handle the reliability, the download, make the file size not too big, make sure it streams under low bandwidth conditions, all those kinds of things becomes incredibly important. We also have a format that we call micro apps, which is a, something that a marketing team can create using common design tools. But instead of a flat PowerPoint file or a PDF file, it can be a choose your own adventure. You can navigate around in a non-linear way. I'm interested in this. I'm going to go over here I'm gonna, and now I'm interested in that, which might not be what you expected is something else, and that, that as you go through the micro app, it can be engaging. It can be video interactive, quizzes, and ask questions, respond to your interests and inputs. So we definitely are seeing more of that. Haven't seen anyone using the uh, goggles yet, the VR goggles in sales situations and ask about it. We'll be ready when that day comes, but not sure the customers are quite ready for it yet.
0: No fair point. No, I'm assuming that given what the funding environment has or was in the past several years, you must have seen a fair amount of competition in this space. Is the space getting too crowded? And if that's the case, how are you differentiating your company now?
1: Yeah, it's a very good observation. The space... Sales and marketing technology, if you want to kind of define the larger category that we fit into, along with some of our partners and some of our direct competitors, that space has gotten a tremendous amount of investment. Literally billions of dollars have flown into early stage and medium to later stage companies. I think that it's, when I think about new categories, what you always see is you see this outward expansion of vendors and today's technology makes this even more, more the case where. It's very easy to create a very good product that solves a very specific problem. And you can get extremely narrow with those things if you want, highly verticalized or highly specific to a certain workflow. And you can create that and you can do a great job with it pretty inexpensively. And so you see venture dollars flowing in and you see all these products being developed, which ultimately some of them are pretty narrow. And depending on execution, depending on opportunity and TAM and all those things, you know, they they may build great technology, but eventually plateaus out just in terms of the market opportunity and their ability to execute. And then of course, any cool idea that comes along like Seismic as a leader in this fat category, you'll see three or four or five others that come along later and raise money saying, we're going to go do a better version of And so the result is you get more and more vendors. And I think what's what we're going to see, what we're starting to see now as as things tighten a little bit investors' thresholds are going up for where they want to put new dollars, that we're gonna we're starting to see a consolidation in the space. And I think we're gonna enter into a phase where the number of vendors is going to go it's going to go down, either through businesses that just don't make it or acquisitions that happen from the larger, the larger companies.
0: In my experience when you have a company at your stage, perhaps is you have two different other accelerators. One is you have software companies or so the really big vendors that become partners and help evangelize your product. And second is a lot of the consulting companies that can go out and implement your product across the board. So what's your, in those two frameworks, where are you with the relationships with the very large CRM and other providers? And I would say in the same vein uh, with consulting companies.
1: Yeah. So we, from the beginning, have partnered tightly. CRM, as you very accurately identified, is a natural fit for for us. And so... We've been a, uh, a tremendous partner with Salesforce, with Microsoft, HubSpot over the years. They were a top ISB partner with, with both Microsoft and Salesforce in terms of revenue that we send them and partnership and number of implementations were one of the very top on that list. Those That's where we primarily put our energy. We also have a strong partnership with Adobe. The marketers are also our customers. And so we have integration with their experience manager products and with their Workfront product for workflow management. So we've got good relationships. Our goal, honestly, is to serve the customers and add value to our customers. So we're looking for what are the integrations that are going to really add value, what are they asking for? What do we feel that they need, even if they're not asking for it yet? And that's where, where we put our energy on the system integrators front. We have had a number of our products that projects with our customers that have involved the large SIs that are out there. Usually it's in the form of a, either a CRM implementation or a digital transformation project that they're doing, next generation marketing or digital transforming, next generation customer experience. Usually it's into those larger projects that we get plugged and we're not exclusively partnered with any of them, but we have had implementations and are partners with, with most of the large system integrators. The
0: thought just came to my mind that this would be very helpful in the HR space also for employee training and employee that's usually dominated by very, one very large software company out there. Have you ever thought about expanding into that area? The content that I see every year on compliance and other things that I have to sign off on It's pretty similar and it's a good place to, it's a good way to get all the digital assets in one area.
1: Yes. Yes, we have more broadly and there's applications for seismic that are, that feel like the next generation of intranet where you're going to get your news and your company information, as well as training that you might have and can do all of those things. It's not a primary focus of us from a go-to-market perspective, but it is an area where we do actually have customers that either brought us in that door or have expanded over to use us in this door, especially smaller companies where they're looking for one vendor that can do maybe more. Another area where we've had quite a bit of success is, is in, call center. You talk about onboarding, you talk about turnover. Many of them have turnover rates that are vibe popping and getting new people on board and trained and effective, productive quickly is a huge margin impact to those businesses. And we've had, we've got a couple of very large customers in telco space that use us for all their onboarding of all their customer their uh, call center reps, and they've shaved weeks off of that onboarding effectiveness time. It's not hard to make an ROI in situations like that
0: yeah speaking of ROI the current economic environment we are in is full of disruption, and uh, companies like yourself thrive in disruptions like this and and but you do get priced on salespeople, how many are there and if there are massive layoffs going across the world how does how do you go between those two forces, one that helps you and the one that hurts you?
1: Yeah, it's, I often joke, I think I have the worst timing in the world. First company I started was August 1st, 2001. And then Seismic, we started it in, in 2010, right when the last major economic crisis hit. So I've got experience in downtrends and I know that companies come through, companies continue to invest in areas they consider to be strategic you know, and, and what's more strategic than having your sales team be effective. In today's world of great resignation of quiet quitting, what's more strategic than making sure your sellers and you can do their jobs more quickly and making sure that you can identify people that are checked out more quickly. It's not hard to to make that. And we've, we've got a number, a slide that we like to share with some of our clients investors that is ripped from the headlines of earnings announcements. And it's not difficult to go through earnings announcements and find companies that failed to hit their numbers, pointing the finger at poor sales enablement, poor ability to ramp reps or reps that are new reps being half as productive as more 10-year reps, things of that nature is a pretty common excuse because it's a pretty common failure. Yeah. And, and so companies that aren't doing this well, you see it in the news. I think that, look, it's, it is absolutely true that the rising tide floats all boats. And we would certainly prefer that the companies were flush with cash and buying you know, decisions happen more quickly. But we feel well positioned in, in a time of tougher decisions, longer cycles, more diligence, because we know this is something that companies absolutely need.
0: No, fair point. You mentioned AI a few times. Perhaps give us some examples of how that has developed in your platform over the past few years and what has some concrete examples where it actually became much, much more valuable for the clients that kind of separate you from from your rivals.
1: Yeah, so AI is, I don't know, every year there's the new hottest buzzwords, right? And a few years back, everything was AI. People were naming their companies, .ai, et cetera. And when you poked behind the curtain, most of the time there wasn't much actually there. So AI has made its way into our product in, in, in ways big and small over really the last five or six years. We uh, we leverage fundamental AI that's developed at companies like IBM and Microsoft and Google, where they're doing things like image recognition or text-to-speech, speech-to-text, and we use those to make our product better. For example, content that gets loaded into Seismic, we dissect it and we have 12 different AI algorithms that look at that content and try to identify, oh, there's a Bloomberg logo in the content. So let's make that searchable. If someone's looking for that, it'll pop up or uh, listen to the video that's loaded. And when I hear someone say the word Bloomberg intelligence, then it'll flag. And I'll know that that can become searchable, even though it's in a video or an audio stream podcast. So we're using AI in lots and lots of ways to do auto tagging of content, which just really makes it more search for sellers. But then we're also collecting all this data that I mentioned, every piece of content that's shared and the context when that content was shared, we're tracking all of that and collecting all that data when the buyer's behavior, what they're looking at, what they're not looking at, how that correlates to, to progress through a sales cycle, all that data we're collecting. And after being able to finally collect all of that data, which is a lot of work, work that not all of our competitors in the space have, have done yet. You're collecting all that data. Now you have something that the machine learning algorithms can actually pay attention to and, and start to learn from, right? So they can see patterns. But a lot of times that, that you can always find the real AI by by asking the a question about where does the data come from? If they don't have crisp answers for where their data is coming from and how much data they have, then they probably don't really have, it, have AI. So it's something that's developed tremendously over the years.
0: And my final question for you is that we are going to go through some ups and downs over the next, I don't know how much longer, but what are some of the things that you are really looking forward in terms of product development and the next stage of your company?
1: It's a great question. We are, I think, back to your AI question. We're at a tipping point now. As a company where we've got so much data coming in that we're really able to start to do some really interesting things. I'm very excited about the meetings product that we just announced a couple of weeks ago, which does allow both real time and after the fact analysis of the content that was shared in meetings and what was said during meetings, being able to do things like correlate questions that are asked with the content that's being shared can help an organization improve their content but also improve the training that they provide to their sellers and their ultimately the effectiveness during sales cycles. So I'm really excited about that. I think it's, it's a period in time where there's so much innovation happening that really is going to be a very exciting and engaging next couple of years, regardless of what happens with the economy.
0: No, fair point, Doug. Thanks so much. It's been an exciting discussion and we wish you all the best and look forward to talking to you again in a year or so.
1: Okay, I look forward to it. Thank you.